Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madhvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madhvi, what's the topic this week? So this week I watched the movie The Menu. It's in cinemas in Germany right now and I think it's on HBO Max for other people. It's a movie starring Ralph Fiennes as a chef of a very exclusive restaurant that costs diners 1250 bucks a pop to eat at. And the restaurant is actually set on this idyllic pure island with these cold blue Scandinavian hues and its ecosystem is used to harvest and prepare food in what can only be called like the most anal way ever and as with most movies that feature rich people being lured onto remote islands as you can imagine the dining experience takes a dark turn and becomes a bit of a horror show i won't give you any spoilers because you haven't seen the movie but also for anyone else who wants to watch it but basically yeah it's a horror story with a kind of twist of dark humor actually it was made by the same filmmakers who made succession the brilliant brilliant tv series which is also about this darkly horrific tale of rich and privileged people i saw triangle of sadness recently way behind everyone else obviously because this movie came out ages ago and it kind of followed a similar vein of just like what happens when rich and privileged people are put into situations they're not used to such a good movie triangle of sadness is a movie set into three acts i feel like the name is very misleading i thought it was going to be a sad movie and it was the complete opposite and the first one it's focused on a young couple she's like an influencer and he's a model and the first one is all about looking at gender discrepancies within relationships the whole focus is is that they go to dinner and the the bill comes she just doesn't go for the bill and automatically says thanks honey and then later he's just like listen like i got last night's dinner you said you were going to get the bill tonight it's really expensive you make more money than me and then it kind of goes from there it's like a mm. look at that and then the second act is they're invited onto a cruise ship for like ultra rich and wealthy people and i love it there's like a russian guy and he's like i am the king of shit he's my favorite character in the entire movie the third act is Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it skip this they their boat ends up sinking and they end up on like deserted island and they have to survive and all of a sudden the like power dynamics are different so all of a sudden the woman who used to clean the toilets is in charge because she's the only one who has any survival skills and so suddenly she's the queen so it's like a flipping on its head so like these ultra rich people now are at the bidding of the woman who 3 days ago was cleaning the toilets and they didn't even see long story short it's so brilliant so the wife of the king of shit like washes up on the island dead and he's like holding her body crying and then at the same time he's like pulling her diamond rings off and putting it into his <laughs> pocket you know like just like the subtle critiques it's not so much focused on gastronomy more as it is on just like the ridiculous behavior of like the uber wealthy and at like how out of touch they are with just like with the rest of the 99% Well, this is exactly what the menu is about actually. It's about like the difference between the servers on one hand who are making the stuff and then the people who are dining there. And so they get taken on this tour of the island, these 1% basically, and they get shown, you know, where the staff are sleeping. The staff are all sleeping in like one room on these metal beds like a jail, you know. 
And then why I thought this would be interesting to discuss is where a funny moment where life and art are colliding at the same moment. I really like it when that happens, you know, when there are a lot of films and popular culture things that also reflect what's happening in the real world. So on January the 9th, if you haven't heard it already, the famous chef, René Redzepi, who has the fine dining restaurant Numa in Copenhagen. Numa has repeatedly been named the world's best restaurant by the really influential 50 Best. It has three Michelin stars. And he announced that the restaurant will be closing its doors at the end of 2024 because this whole model of exclusive fine dining is, in his words, unsustainable. But this is really interesting because a lot has been written about it. Well, like you were saying, one of the chefs, Kim Mikola, who's a Finnish chef who worked for Numa for four years, was quoted as saying, fine dining like diamonds, like ballet and other elite pursuits, has abuse built into it. And this is the quote, everything luxatarian is built on somebody's back. Somebody has to pay. And so in the movie, it's like these people who are just working 18 hour days, which is what this kind of business requires. It requires so much work, hard, constant work, and you don't get paid that much. And fine dining is such an interesting place to look at this haves and haves not situation because the people making the stuff are different class from the people consuming the stuff. Mm -hmm. And the people making the stuff, basically what Red Zeppi was saying is, how do you do all of this work? It takes like a hundred staff to run this restaurant or whatever to make every single element of this uber pristine particular way of doing things to make this food and how do you pay them enough to like afford a house to send their children to school and a car and just basic stuff and even though his menu costs like at least 500 euros for the basic tasting menu it's still I mean the actual cost would be like I don't know if you were going to pay everyone fairly which he hasn't been doing because they use interns, unpaid interns and very low wage labour and it's really hard factory work actually what they're doing. The menu then would cost, I don't know, like this, like a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks and then it's not going to work. Like not many people are just going to pay that and so it, the whole thing is ridiculous and so he's kind of right, it's unsustainable. I think the whole thing is incredibly silly. I have absolutely no respect for fine dining. I don't understand the point. I think it's fine to have like a nice experience, but like what exactly is so special? About it? I don't know. I just like, I feel like it's so exclusionary. It feels so ridiculous to pay thousands of dollars for food while there's people dying and starving. Yes, you can have nice things, but everything has a limit. Well, I think that's the point made in the menu, but also made by some people who have eaten also at this restaurant, is that there is great satisfaction and art in making brilliant food and feeding people and being innovative. And I think a lot of these chefs come from a passionate place. And then they're serving the elite who want more and more exclusive, different sort of experiences. It becomes so commercialized in a way that it takes out this, like, joy it's like the art market which is like completely capitalized and consumerized and the joy and the love and the actual pure element of it gets taken out and it just becomes this thing that you're catering to like 
the elites, a few 1%. Yeah. Essentially exactly what you just said, but I did want to add, like, my issue is not necessarily with the art of cooking itself, it's just with the elitism. Intentionally excluding people from an experience seems like just such bullshit to me. I would love to read you Frank Bruni's description of his meal at Numa. He is writing for the New York Times, but he used to be on staff as the food critic for a long, long time. And this is brilliant. I quote, It was at Numa that I ate the most unsettling meal of my life. <laughs> Amazing. The most unsettling dish, I should say, though dish doesn't feel right, given that it wriggled and twitched. <laughs> You'll never taste a fresher shrimp in your life, the server who presented it to me promised, telling me to plop it into my mouth. Ew. But I was as frozen as it was fresh. When he returned minutes later, it was still moving, more slowly. It's gonna die soon, he said, in a tone of a priest administering last rites. It might as well die for its intended purpose. All these years later, I have a vivid memory of how fast and hard I chomped down on it, lest it perk up and treadmill on my tongue. I have no recollection of its flavour. He says there's a metaphor here that applies not only to Numa, but to other internationally renowned, ardently coveted temples of gastronomy that are forever trying to dazzle self-regarding epicures with new stunts, novel sensations, modes of presentation that we hadn't imagined, flora and fauna, rarely pinned down on a plate so he's asking like are they performing such a rococo act for such a rarefied audience that they're on borrowed time and obviously the chef redzeki thinks yes it's kind of unsustainable you can't just keep on coming up with new and new new stuff but since we're on the topic of food critics and food reviews of three star michelins did you ever read by any chance which is one of my favorite reviews ever although I am a big AA Girl fan, but by Jay Rayner of The Guardian. He wrote this review in 2017. I remember reading it and laughing out loud and then reading it again and laughing even more. No. He covered Le Saint, which is at the Four Seasons Hotel George V in Paris. And at that time in 2017, a meal for two, which included service and a modest wine, was about 600 euros. A modest wine for 600 euros. A modest wine. I'm sorry, I don't know why that description is making me laugh. Sorry, not to interrupt you quickly, but that description you read before of the food, I have never heard anything less appetizing. There's a scene in Triangle of Sadness where they're in the dining room and they all get put this food in front of them and it's like jello and it's wiggling and it looks like the world's most unappetizing food in the entire world. <laughs> and that's exactly what I felt like listening to that. Like that felt like a, a manifestation of that description. I actually say I have no interest in fine dining mainly because I'm a vegetarian, but also because I'm like, sorry, you want to read the review, but it also made me think of the David Sedaris story. Have you read it? Where he's talking about how he and Hugh go to a fine dining restaurant and he's so overwhelmed by everything. He just tells Hugh to order for him because he's like, things are covered in chocolate that shouldn't be covered in chocolate. It's like <laughs> tiny. And then he says that when he leaves, he's still hungry. And so he goes to a hot dog cart because he's there in New York City and he buys a hot dog and people are like, you know, they put like 
ears and foot in that. He's like, excellent. Yes, that's the only ingredients <laughs> that should be in my food. And how he says, oh, he thinks the experience of eating this hot dog from a cart is way better than this like fancy meal he just went to. Anyway, it reminded me of that. Yeah, in the review that I just read, the one in the New York Times where he talks about the shrimp, he actually says he met Ritzeki and he's actually a fan of his and, and he spent some time with him in Scandinavia and they ate, you know, they have the bread with the smoked salmon on top of our heart that like doesn't cost hardly anything. And he also said that experience and that food was way better and somehow, like, it's nothing you could write about. It's nothing you could be like, oh, I went to this place and had this amazing experience. It was like down-to-earth experience. But he said that that food was just much more satisfying and better experience than the Numa one. Because I think it's that food is, is something that connects us all, right? It's It's one of the few things. I mean, there's a lot of things we all have in common. But, like, along with music, breathing, peeing, other things are things that connect us. I'm sorry for bringing up food and pee in the same sentence. It's all part of the same. It's true. It's, you know, the natural conclusion of your food. I mean, I guess not peeing. Anyway, long story short, I just didn't want to mention the other part. Anyway, it connects all of us. And the social aspect of food is much more important than the actual meal. Because, like, this is where I think, like, Italians really nail it. Their cuisine is very, very simple. So a bowl of pasta, having a bowl of pasta with someone, the connection of a good, hearty, filling meal and the connection with a human you're having a dish with is a much more better experience than sitting in a fancy restaurant and eating something that jiggles and is worth $35,000, you know? I agree. I really like the way that Italians approach food because they maintain a passion and a joy with it, but also a down-to-earthness, which I have to say, the French do not. And the French came up with the Michelin star, and the French are always going on about how amazing their cuisine is, and they... Obviously, Michelin is a French company and they are there to promote traveling around France. That's how the Michelin star came up, actually, from travel guides and like to promote restaurants. And most Michelin stars are given to white male chefs. Most Michelins are given to this European cuisine. But French cuisine is so fucking boring. They just take a steak, they put it twice on the grill, one way then another way, and they think, voila, this is amazing. It's not. I'm Indian. I'm sorry. The amount of complexity in Indian food beats anything. And there are no, I think maybe now, I think the first Indian restaurant was given maybe just two Michelin stars. But if you look at Japanese food, Indonesian mm. food, South American food, all of this stuff, even if you look on the 50 best website, which is the one that says, you know, this is the best restaurant. They started incorporating, like, obviously Asian food, you can't ignore it, and South American food. But then what they've done on their website, they've put 50 best, and then they've put 50 best Asia, 50 best North America, 50 best South America. Okay, so Europe is just then the home of all great cuisine. But mm -hmm. Europe... I don't know if you knew this, but Europe is the norm and the standard by which all things must be measured. Oh, it's, it's the center <laughs> of food, is it? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Europe didn't have any food before the Europeans went over and figured out that there was another continent where all the food was, where all the potatoes and the tomatoes and the chilies and everything came from South America in the first place, right? And it's so racist and white supremacist that French, they just think, oh, this is our cuisine is amazing. But actually, you go to any street stall in India and what they are doing there, you can just stand there and be mesmerized by it. And they're just doing it with love and passion and with 
years and years of stuff passed down and none of the pretentiousness of it. Yes. And it's still a great cuisine. Japanese food is great. Chinese food is great. How limited a palate you must have to think that fucking Nordic... I'm sorry, the new Nordic is a thing that the chef of Numa... Rene Redzeki came up with, with another guy, and the founders of Numa basically came up with this cuisine called the New Nordic, which basically is the old Nordic. They just started using sustainable ingredients and like picking, I don't know, moss and whatever stuff you get in the Nordic countries, right? I should also add that the concept of sustainability is a very Western concept because the idea of consumption and like packaging everything in plastic is something that the West invented. So in order for them to counteract that, they had to invent sustainability. And then they invented it so that once they had exported their bad habits to other countries, they could look down onto the global South. Amazing. So the New Nordic, I'm for the New Nordic. I've been to New Nordic restaurants, very nice. It's fine. And I think they, they do amazing things in Scandinavia. You know, the smoking and this, because they don't have much there. It's fucking cold. So they really have to be invented. They they have to use moss and stuff, right? Whereas if you go to Italy, which is hot, or if you go to India or South America, where they have plethora of different ingredients to work with, they don't have these problems of having to like smoke and pickle everything, right? Mm -hmm. So it's an amazing thing what the Scandinavians are doing. But then the cheek of it <laughs> to really be like the new Nordic is an amazing cuisine. No, it's not. It's severely limited because of geography and because of climate. This is turning into a really long run. No, no, no. It's great. Amazing. Please continue. I never want this to stop. But it's such a scant palette, and which is brilliant in the menu, actually, because everything's blue and the Scandinavian harshness and it's like Scandinavian design. Everything's so white. Minimalistic. Right? It's minimalistic. And that's like the height of high culture. I'm sorry, no. Why isn't a thousand different colors and mirrors and gold and brass and, and, and complexity? Why isn't that the great thing? It's because in Europe, you don't have this stuff because it's cold and white and gray here. And that must then be elevated to the level of art. No. Amen. <laughs> Can I just say something about the New Nordic also? Yes, absolutely. Please. No, because it's, it's not actually just me going on a rant. There's an actual propaganda behind it too, because the two guys who basically founded Numa came up with this, the New Nordic, which was a new manifesto about Nordic food, whatever. Okay, in 2006, this led to the funding of 3 million euros for a number of related activities in Scandinavia to promote the New Nordic. And it's the same with the 50 best. If you see the 50 best, which is one of the most influential things in like deciding what the best restaurants are, if you look at who they're sponsored by, it's like San Pellegrino water mm. and stuff like this, which Pellegrino, by the way, also was a sponsor of Numa. So, I mean, the amount of money and corruption and people just patting each other on the back here yeah. is incredible. This has got nothing to do with good food. This is just commercialism. And yes, I agree that there is art in what these chefs are doing. I don't want to take anything away from the artistry and the innovation and creativity here. But also, I think that we run into an issue here because art for art's sake, like the problem, right, he was saying is he can't keep innovating. You get to a point where you're not making new food because you're inspired, but you're making new food for the sake of making new food. And then I'm not interested in that. 
I'm not interested in this whole thing, to be honest, because I think it's pretentious, uninviting, and cold. And that's if you watch the menu, that's the character of Ralph Fiennes, basically. He realizes that he's become a monster in a way, because also the, the chefs themselves are abusive. I mean, René Redzecki has been abusive. And let's talk about, you know, his propaganda machine. He's given talks on great leadership, given, written a book funded by Nelson Mandela Foundation. He was knighted by the Swedes for some shit. I don't know. He's so elevated, but he also wrote an essay himself, himself, about how he came up in the kitchens because he was cooking since 15, and how chefs used to slap people if they got stuff wrong in the kitchen, and how he actually started abusing his staff, and how he's been trying and to give fair play to him i think he realized his behavior and has been trying to pull back from it and pull back from it and this is the natural conclusion that the system is broken and the only way to still have love and passion and have some purity in you and do it is by actually not doing it at all because he changed his kitchen you know in certain ways to promote like that his staff were more comfortable and stuff but there's no getting away from the fact that people have worked for free for him done painstaking tasks for him stayed at their own expense in Copenhagen like chefs from India and stuff like this and got hardly any experience because they've just been asked to like I don't know dissect 10,000 beetles a day and it's factory work it's nothing so the new Nordic is also beetles man and then when the Chinese are eating beetles then James... Corden makes a show about the world's most disgusting foods. So I'm sorry, James Corden, why don't you go to Numa? For those of you who don't know, James Corden (laughs) had this show, Spill Your Guts or Fill Your Guts. It's a segment that actually there was a petition signed against it because it was anti-Asian because they they referred to Asian delicacies as really disgusting and horrific and there was a change.org petition calling this out basically because it's just culturally fucking offensive and insensitive and it's anti-Asian racism. Just how much of a shit ignorant person do you have to be to think something like that is okay? But then you get served a squiggling, wriggling, fucking scampi in Numa, and it's the stuff of high culture for the New York Times. Yes, and you know why? Because like we learned, Europe is the center of everything that is good and right and correct, obviously. I feel like if that soundbite gets used out of context, I am in a lot of trouble. Please note the intense sarcasm. I'm going to make that all... No! Clip. <laughs> anyway, long before we got onto this topic, you wanted to read us your favorite review in The Guardian from 2017. Please. These are the bits that are most amusing. So, to start, the dining room, deep in the hotel is a broad space of high ceilings and coving with thick carpets to muffle the screams. It is decorated in various shades of torp, biscuit and fuck you. There is little guilt here and there to remind us that this is a room designed for people for whom guilt, G-U-I-L-T, is unfamiliar. It shouts money, much as football fans shout at the ref. There's a stool for the lady's handbag. Well, of course there is. Okay, so let's move on to the menus. Menus the height of Richard Osman are bought. 
My female companion, who booked the table, is given one without prices. Waiters look baffled when we protest, but replace it. Then again, having looked at those prices, I suspect many people would wish never to see their like again. Starters and mains are roughly the same price, running from 70 euros to 140 euros. If I'm going to a restaurant and a man is paying, then I would like to know the prices because I want to get the most expensive thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, back to the review. Okay, let's go into the canapes. The canapé is a transparent ball on a spoon. It looks like a Barbie-sized silicon breast implant. Is a spherification, a word you can barely say, a gel globe using a technique perfected by Ferran Adria and El Bulli about 20 years ago. This one pops in our mouth to release stale air with a tinge of ginger. My companion winces. It's like eating a condom that's been left lying about in a dusty greengrocer's, she says. Ew. Spherifications of various kinds, bursting, popping, deflating, always ill-advised, turn up on many dishes. It's their trick, their shtick, their big idea. It's all they have. <laughs> Another canapé, tulle enclosing scallop mush introduces us to the kitchen's love of acidity. Oh Not bright, light, aromatic acidity of the sort provided by, say, Yotsu. This is blunt acidity of the sort that polishes up dulled brass coins. And then again, back to your thing about like just craving an actual good, satisfying dish. The cheapest of the starters is gratinated onions, in the Parisian style. We're told it has the flavour of French onion soup. It makes us yearn for a bowl of French onion soup. It's mostly black, like nightmares, and sticky, <laughs> like the floor at a teenager's party. Ew. There are textures of onions, but what sticks out are burnt tones and spherified balls of onion puree that burst jarringly against the roof of the mouth. A dish of raw marinated scallops with sea urchin ice cream is a whack of iodine. It is the most innovative dish of the meal, though hardly revolutionary. Sea urchin ice cream turned up on Iron Chef America back in the 90s. A mane of pigeon is requested medium, but served so pink it might just fly again given a few volts. Very Frankenstein. A heap of couscous is mined with a tiny portion of lamb for 95 euros. Are you kidding me? Like the watercress puree, it tastes of little. It comes with gummy purees, unpleasant spherifications of lamb stocks and mushy one-note merguez sausages, which are nothing of the sort. A sad, over-reduced sauce coagulates on the plates. I think R.E.M.'s Man on the Moon, they said in some interview at some point that actually they wanted to see how many yeah, yeah, yeahs they could get into one song. And I feel like this critic wants to see how many times he can get the word spherification into one review. Okay, let's finish off. What part of the meal are we at? Are we at the main course? Yeah, we're at the main course. It's hard to tell. Um, we're in the oh, main no, ice cream. We just did the main... Uh, we can do the dessert. Oh, excellent. Because I heard something about sea urchin ice cream, but then sometimes you don't know if that's a dessert or not. It's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, dessert. A dessert of frozen chocolate mousse cigars wrapped in tulle is fine if you overlook the elastic flap of milk skin draped over it. Like something that's fallen off a burns victim. Oh my. A cheesecake with lumps of frozen parsley powder is not fine. I asked the waitress what the green stuff is. She tells me and says brightly, isn't it great? No. I say, it's one of the worst things I've ever eaten. It tastes of grass clippings. Parsley is brilliant with fish, but in cheesecake, they take it off the bill. With our mint tea, we are served an on-trend, I don't even know how to say this, kogin aman, a laminated caramelized pastry. It's burnt around the edges. The overall bill is 600 euros. Every single thing I ate at the restaurant Skosh for a sixth of the price was better than this. It's bizarre. Not that the older men with their nieces on the few other occupied tables seem to care. I feel like the thing that he described it was most likely to eat was the one, the dessert. But then the word burn victim. I feel like... That's how disgusting the food seems. The thing I feel most compelled to eat was described using the word burn victim. (laughs) He says, this restaurant basically will leave me with memories. They are bleak and troubling. If I work hard, one day, with luck, I may be able to forget. (laughs) I feel like this is a David Sedaris experience where you walk out and you go to McDonald's and you get yourself a burger, you know? Not to endorse McDonald's or burgers. Anyway. But um, still, it's better than this shit. Yeah. Honestly. And also, there is a moment in the menu where they fully acknowledge that actually the fast food burger is better than this shit. Like, there is something to be said about that. A couple of weeks ago, we went to this newly opened restaurant here in Berlin. And it was supposed to be really great. Like, I read about it online. Which one? Jord. J-O-R-D. And it's like a German chef who's reinvented German food, and it's supposed to be amazing. It's not too far from here, actually. So we went, and we get served food the size of a golf ball. I'm a vegetarian, and they did not have any vegetarian options, so like I just got like a, like a small dish of beetroots. The group of people that I was with were not drinking alcohol, so we didn't even get alcohol. We paid 160 euro per two people. We weren't even drinking alcohol. And we left, and then... The other two people that I was with, she texted me later being like, we're getting burgers. That's really sad about Berlin, though, because Berlin has always had a really great kind of family-owned, independent-owned food scene that's been cheap and good, really good food. And I think we should already fight to keep that alive and not go to all these bougie, expensive places. Let's stop. That was, without a doubt, the worst food experience I've had in Berlin. And the most expensive. I was so upset. I was like, why did we not just go to Chunking Noodles, pay 15 euros each, and have the best meal of our lives? That's annoying. Yeah. Anyway. So, should we move on to our three things you can do this week to be a better person? Absolutely. So, for some movie tips, watch the menu. Watch Fresh, which is a feminist critique of the meat industry and also has a dark sense of humour. And also I watched Le Grand Bouffe, which we didn't really talk about in this episode, but it's a 1973 film by Michael Ferreri, and it's also about eating and food and the excesses and consumptions of the rich. 
It's truly bizarre. And also watch Triangle of Sadness, which is the one that Rena mentioned. Also a brilliant, brilliant film. Thing two, if you can, make sure to frequent women-owned, black-owned, people-of-color-owned restaurants. Your money is way better spent there than giving it to another inventive Nordic white man. And if you are going to a fine dining restaurant, with the internet nowadays, you can really look at the history of the chefs and how staff are treated. There's been a big Me Too moment in the gastronomy industry. There's been a lot of accusations of abuse, of not paying staff, about how they pay staff. And you can also vote with your money with the kinds of restaurants that you go to in that sense, too. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like this show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.